All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Adam with you here as always. And on this episode, I am very pleased to welcome to the show, Kate Tonda. Kate, welcome to the show. Awesome. It's nice to see you, Adam, and so happy to be here. Absolutely. So, Kate, um, I know you are currently a senior director over L&D at Fortune One Company, Walmart, and we've worked together in the past, but um, a lot of people who listen to the show may not know who you are, what your background is. So if you want to give a, a quick overview of kind of just your background in supporting people. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was thinking about this um, when you reached out to me that it's almost been two decades since uh, I've joined like learning and development in some shape or form. And it's it's uh, crazy to, to say that. That sounds like a really long time. But um, yeah, just shy of uh, two decades in learning and development, I really started my career um, in the delivery space, like a lot of people when they're first getting into learning and development. And uh, that was in 2004 timeframe. And uh, what it really opened up to me was this entire corporate L&D world that, you know, frankly, I had no idea existed. Um, and at Verizon at the time, you know, they had a lot of opportunity, like they're a behemoth of an L&D organization. And so what that allowed me to do over really the next 14, 15 years was go into all of these different functional areas within L&D. So I moved around in terms of development, project management, and learning architecture type work. I also had the opportunity to um, move into leadership at that organization and bounce around in terms of uh, leading teams that helped with the retail side, the consumer contact center side, business sales, um, which also created a lot of diversity and exposure to different types of clients. Um, and then what really took my heart though, like was design. Uh, so with all of the roles that I've ever held, being over design and being part of the create experience has always been my favorite. So really thankful for the opportunity that I had there to like diversify my skill set, both in terms of the client group, as well as L&D Acuity. Um, from there, I moved to Samsung Electronics and uh, ran their retail training for all of uh, Samsung Electronics America for mobile and mobile computing. Um, and that role was a little bit different. What was great about it is that it took all of the experience that I had um, learned and and used at Verizon and applied it on the OEM side, right? So going from the carrier to the manufacturer side was uh, really unique. But I also there did events. So we would have these really large conferences and uh, sales meetings. And so um, that was, you know, added something new to my repertoire, so to speak. And then the other thing that was really interesting there is that I'd always served internal client groups. Um, and at Samsung, my client group was not only internal, but also became providing content to like the carriers. So doing customizations for like our retailers, Verizon, which was one of them, of course, as a carrier, but also like, you know, the big boxes like Best Buy and um, Fry's and Circuit City and all of those um, places also were groups that I got the chance to serve. And then most recently, like you said, I'm at Walmart US um, leading learning and development for their contact centers. So uh, when I originally came here, it was intended to be for the e-commerce line of business. But as you can imagine, uh, the pandemic in particular radically <laughs> grew that space much faster than was anticipated. And it opened up the door to centralize a lot of contact center lines of business. And so now, um, whether you're a store associate or 
a customer, like any really contact that comes in, um, we serve that client group that serves those customers. That's awesome. I, I didn't know your entire background. I know uh, for anyone in the audience that may not know this, Kate and I worked together almost 10 years ago at Verizon. And, and that was a very pivotal point in my career because, you know, one challenge I've always had with L&D is that it seems like a lot of people are just focused on compliance and doing things in very specific ways. And a lot of times it ends up being more education than it is about learning and helping people perform better. And you were one of the first leaders that I ever worked with that kind of flipped that. Like we, we focused on gamification and um, adult learning and helping people to get better at their jobs and being very um, performance focused. So what what was it in your career that that got you to see learning and and at work training in that way versus more of the traditional, more education focused way? Yeah. So I think that part of it is just realizing that, you know, there's some self-preservation in that, right? So I think that early on recognizing that L&D can be seen you know, at many organizations as something that's like a nice to have, or it's just compliance, uh, or maybe you don't necessarily need it. It's gravy, you know, so to speak, if you, if you have it. And so part of that is just like realizing that if you want to have a career and you want to have, you know, like be able to show value in the organization, you have to be connected to the business results. And to your point, just having it where you get people to knowledge or aware, you know, even worse, just awareness isn't going to drive like a behavior change. And if you don't change behavior, you don't change results. Um, so I think I just realized early on that if I wanted to have a trajectory, if I wanted to have longevity within the L&D space, the thing that I could do and help my team do to make themselves different was not come in as kind of like more of that traditional just L&D person where we're going to be like very academic or, you know, academic or a lot of concept and theory um, and really like insert ourselves as, you know, not just a trusted advisor that has a seat at the table, but that has a voice. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I think earning that respect from senior leaders is is what is key. Now, you've also you know, you worked for three very large organizations, you've supported multiple lines of business, and you've worked your way into a, a position of senior leadership. A lot of people um, that work in the L&D space, sometimes people can run into that risk of staying in a position for a long time. I'm sure we all know people who have been in one role for decades even, um, and they might struggle with moving up. So what has been your secret in order to move up into roles of new responsibility or move into lines of business that maybe you hadn't worked in on the front line? Yeah. So the, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got early on in my career was to look at it like it's a lattice instead of a ladder. And so whether I'm looking at my own growth and development and career, or whether I'm helping my team make decisions about, you know, what's next for them, I think that sometimes we can become too hyper focused on things like title, money, like and the the vertical trajectory, right? And be like the only way I can move is up. Um and look, people that want that you should absolutely go for it, but it shouldn't be the only goal that you have. Um because if you look at what you can take with you along the way and again kind of more of that lattice idea, like I can go over here and 
gain a different skill set or gain a different exposure or experience. And then maybe it's a little bit this way. So I found for myself, you know, before I made the jump into leadership, I did five what would have been considered lateral positions and then made the jump into leadership. And so for me, especially now in this role, what that did is it allowed me to go into those different functional areas. It allowed me to support those different lines of business. And I'm able to have a more holistic view, whether that's again in uh, master of the craft in L&D or whether it's just having business acumen and acuity. And um, you know, one of those jobs at the time was online content and communications, right? Basically tech writing. And uh, I will tell you at the time, I was not excited about that. I remember when they came and were like, hey, we'd like you to do this role. And I was like, mm, that does not make me want to wake up and do the cha-cha slide, right? It didn't really excite me. But what I also learned was like, when you're asked, say yes, because you can do anything for a year. And that added so much value and really gave me diversity as an L&D professional. Because what I find now, even when I'm filling for my own roles, is that people usually stay in one area of expertise, right? Like if you went into delivery, you go up the chain in delivery. Design, you go up the chain. And like you find where people don't have this cross-pollination of L&D mastery. Um, so that really uh, benefited me to look at my career as a lattice and different moves. And, and, and you know, the, the move doesn't always have to be the vertical one. The vertical, the title, the money, all that stuff will come. And I find that because of those experiences and the time that I took um, to maximize on that, I'm a better leader. I'm a better L&D support person to my um, clients, to my leader. And uh, that is the best advice I would give anyone is look at it like a lattice instead of just, you know, because a ladder only goes up or down. So don't limit yourself. Yeah, I love that. I'm stealing the lattice over ladder. If you ever told me that before, I've, I've unfortunately forgotten it. Um, but it reminds <laughs> me of the amazing book. I don't know if you've read it, but it's Range by David Epstein. And he talks about being a generalist versus a specialist. Yeah. And and that very much reminds me of that. And it's mirrored my own career. I mean, I've worked mm -hmm. in, you know, delivery, design, project management, learning technology, about a dozen different lines of business. And I feel like that's made me stronger because I can see the whole picture. And, and I've seen those people that you're describing too, the person who's been a trainer for decades or the person who's been an instructional designer for decades. And they're really good at what they do, but there's only so much value you can provide versus having a, a more wide skill set to, yeah. to see the whole picture. Right. And I don't, I always tell my team too, I'm like, I don't want you to limit yourself because it does become more difficult if you haven't had diverse experiences early on, right? Or before you get to like, again, the level or the title that you want to, it becomes more difficult if you haven't built those durable skills or those utility skills or the exposure and experience. It's more difficult, I think, to sometimes move um, like a lattice into different areas than it is when you're earlier or when you're like not, you know, in, in the senior leadership position. So take advantage of it and like maximize. And I always tell people, I'm like, you can do anything for a year as long as you're not compromising your values. Okay. Just to, just to caveat that, but really you can do anything for a year. So make the most of it. Take what you can. Yeah. That, that's, that's good advice. I think some people might think they're too good for certain roles or it's not really their passion or whatnot, mm -hmm. but you're right. I think that that year, or maybe even if you're stuck there for 18 months or two years, it's yeah. still going to make you stronger five years down the road. Exactly.
Um, so since you've worked for multiple very large organizations, I think all three of those companies are at least Fortune 100, if not way. I mean, Walmart's as big as it gets. Yeah. I'm sure you've encountered a lot of times where potentially silos, red tape, bureaucracy, gatekeeping, those kind of things get in the way. And what I think a lot of people encounter is sometimes the expectation is that the training or L&D team is only going to provide a course or a training delivery and I know you're the kind of leader that doesn't just settle with that. You want to provide more. Um, so how have you been able to navigate that and provide solutions that are more than just an educational course and they actually provide results? Yeah. So I think I'm going to break this down a couple different ways. Like the first I want to talk about is related to like the red tape and bureaucracy um, because these two things go hand in hand. But there is red tape and bureaucracy no matter where you go. It might be a little bit different. Some of it's the same. But what I found is the only way that you can like know how to navigate something is if you understand where it exists. Like what are what is the red tape? What is the bureaucracy? So I like to, you know, spend some time doing some intellectual heavy lifting, thinking about the political system that you're operating in. So you have to know it or you can't you can't navigate it, right? You'll just constantly be hitting roadblocks. The other thing is it relates to red tape and bureaucracy is it exists everywhere, but there are four areas where I feel like it exists in particular, and that would be in sourcing and procurement, HR, IT or security, right? Anything to do there and then legal. So the other thing that I've learned, you know, sometimes through hard knocks is the best way to learn is like find people in those four areas and make them your friend, right? Minimally make them your acquaintance, like use them to learn about their spaces. Um, because a lot of times, like, again, if you understand it, you can navigate it. You'll know how to get around it. But if you don't understand it, those are four areas where you're in particular going to hit a lot of roadblocks. So um, make friends in those areas, like figure out like how you can connect with them, maybe have a mentorship, um, learn about their ways, their processes, uh, and then I've also found that they'll be willing to help you, right? When you hit that roadblock on, well, you can't go this way, but hey, we can go around that way. But you have to have that relationship there. So invest in those individuals in those areas. And then I would say um, general influence when it comes to like providing a solution that's not just L&D focused. I will tell you, no matter where I've been, there is um, the desire to typically look at training like a compliance-based course, even if it's, or offering, right? Even if it's not compliance, mm -hmm. even if it's not like something like, you know, that you need to take like customer private information that you absolutely have to take that every single year. There's a tendency to create all learning like what well, we did training or to throw training at everything. Um, so again, going back to just like the relational piece, I find that if you come to the table, not just scoping the L&D need, but you have and create a team of people who can look more holistically, many people are willing to take a look at other ideas if they're presented to them. A lot of times I think it's a situation where they just don't know what they don't know. So I'll give you an example. Um, we have started to talk a lot with our team about you've got like the learning, but educate them on like all these other levers that can be pulled, right? So that could mm -hmm. include compensation, rewards and recognition. It could include leadership, right? Like what are leaders getting? What resources do they have? It could include the online reference content, tools, systems, uh, performance standards, right? Like if you're going after a metric, 
and there's no performance standard, training's not going to do a lot, right? If there's not a connection there. So we've started to really lean into scoping the full need, understanding how we can isolate the knowledge or the skill need, which is going to be the training solution, but bringing to the table with our um, operations partners, who's my primary client, right? That's where we get most of our requests, ideas on other things that could be part of the package. Um, and a lot of times I'll tell you, we've stepped outside of what would be traditional L&D to help them set that up. So uh, with our leadership essentials offering that we just did, we could have just been like, hey, we're just going to launch this leadership course. But we, you know, we know that the leaders have to have resources after the fact. So as part of our creation in tandem, we created the leadership resources so that they would have performance support and guides that they could take with them. So, um, you know, if you can position it as a holistic package and in, in, you know, a situation where you can offer assistance or offer help, um, I think that that goes a long way with your stakeholders. And it only takes a couple of W's that you can put in your, you know, put on your, um, in your column, in your W column for people to start also seeing the value, especially if you're connecting those interventions, again, back to the business impact conversation we were having, right? Like you want to be different, connect what you do to how it impacts the business. And it won't take long before it's like catching fire. That's great. I love the the social proof argument there because leaders are always competitive with each other. And I like how you said, get those wins, right? Because once one leader sees that you mm -hmm. helped another leader out to get a win, they're going to want that win too. And they're going to want to know what you did. And that's that's what I think overcomes that challenge a lot of people in training have where leaders only expect courses, that's probably because they've never had mm -hmm. an L&D team that's given them a winning solution that had anything besides just courses. Right, right. Or we get in this tendency to be like, well, what they should do is, and, I'm, and I always challenge my team, I'm like, did you tell them what they should do? I mean, obviously in an appropriate manner that doesn't <laughs> come across as, you know, yeah. um, offensive to the, to, to the teams or to the experts, but Again, you can position things like as a total package just to even start to create awareness. And then I would just say, don't get discouraged, right? Like enough time, enough connecting, building relationships and tying in what you're suggesting to what they want to achieve. You're going to have a win, right? It's like sometimes they say what in sales, it's 10 no's before you get one yes. Same mm -hmm. thing here. Don't give up. Think about positioning and repositioning. Eventually you'll get that W and then you can use that to continue the momentum. Yeah. And, and I also like how you, you focus on what a lot of people can see as a negative, which is office politics and office politics has its own issues, but you talk about how you build relationships and get, um, people who can help you to achieve what you want to achieve in those key departments. I mean, you mentioned things like HR and it, and a lot of the times those, you know, HR is probably their hands are bound by certain laws that they have to follow. It is bound by certain contracts that your company, especially a larger company, They've spent a lot of money on these these certain technology solutions, and whether we like them or not, those are what we have. Mm -hmm. So, getting that champion in those departments helps you to get things across the the finish line, and you provide those those solutions that are more than just a course. Because I I have a firm belief that a one time training, it doesn't matter how well it's you know it's sourced and it's written, if it's one time six months from now, it won't matter. And so, I love that you talked about mm -hmm. that leadership uh, library as well. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, so that that kind of leads me to this. You, you've been in this um, this um, field for almost 20 years. Yeah. You've worked for multiple large companies, 
I'm sure many, many thousands of people have been impacted by the solutions that your teams have provided. What are some things that that you've produced or you've worked on that that you're most proud of? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, there's just been so many, right? Um, the list could go on and on in terms of like solutions. Sure. Um, the I'll, So I kind of want to speak generally about like the types of solutions that I've created versus just like, you know, one specific example. So I would say sure. um, the solutions that I'm most proud of are ones where we've um, like used technology, right, in an innovative way, but also where technology doesn't take over the learning. Um, because, and, and the reason I think I'm proud of that is because there's, there really is a high risk with using technology to have the technology be the star of the show versus the knowledge or the skill gain that needs to happen. Um, you know, some examples I would say of, of that are uh, when I when I was at Samsung um, and we were doing some of the conference um, materials, we would use things like game based learning, but it was like where the game-based learning was where the learning was taking place, not a layer that like, mm -hmm. you know, sits on top of it. So we did some really cool stuff. Like with, um, we did a game that was like clue, um, and themed it like the great gaps but it was called the great apps And the entire game was hands-on like learning about the apps, um, that were available right on the, um, on the operating system. So I would say we, I have multiple examples of that, but that's one thing I've really been proud about is making sure that like when you use technology or when you use these like concepts and theories, game-based learning, gamification, virtual reality, you know, that you don't have it be where the shiny thing is the focus, right? Mm -hmm. It enables you, but it shouldn't, shouldn't be like the star of the show. Um, and I think that's an easy trap to fall into, right? Especially when something new comes out, be like, oh, like, let's just throw this at it. Like it's shiny and people will love it. And you can really miss um, the boat on making sure that you're doing something that's effective. Um, and then the other thing that I would say I'm, I'm most proud of um, with some of the work that we've done here at Walmart is really creating experiences instead of just formal learning with our career progression efforts. Um, you know, I, I know you're a big fan of immersive learning as well. There is nothing yeah. that we'll ever be able to make on the job or like completely immersive learning. Like there's nothing better than it. Um, so we've done some really great work with career progression where we um, have formal learning that's part of a six month rotation. But most of the six month rotation is them going like frontline agents going into a role. So they, we do that in L and D we do that with um, people who are interested in future leadership positions. We're looking to expand it to other functional areas like workforce management, um, like defect reduction. So those are some of the most, um, just, I'm so proud of them because like we're seeing it pay off not only in better business impact, but also in promotions. So we have like 60% of individuals who go through one of those six month rotations uh, getting promoted, sometimes before they even finish the six month rotation. Uh, so I think that anything you can do where you create skill, like real skill, real immersion, and then have it be part of your normal 
like ways of operating because we've operationalized that now um, is something to like really look at. How can you do it? How can you feed, you know, two birds, three birds with one seed? Um, because it's just been the most impressive thing to watch as these individuals get to go and actually be in that role and then have these pockets of formal learning threaded throughout. That's awesome. First off, I want to say I love a good pun and the great Appsby is an amazing name of the game. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to gamification, I know you and I share this, but, you know, too much gamification is just mm -hmm. that that game shell on top of like a quiz yeah. or something that's not really effective. Um, right. And I love that you're providing experiences. And and maybe that that segues me into the next question, because a lot of the the groups that that you're supporting, whether it be someone in a customer service role or sometimes even sales roles. And I would imagine at Walmart uh, stores, these might be roles where you're having higher turnover. They're more entry level positions. And a lot of times companies can see that as, you know, the, the investing in their growth and their future may not be as worthwhile because this is an entry level position with higher turnover. So I know you're, you're focusing on the mentorship and growth opportunities and so on, but what else are you doing to make sure that it's a good learning experience and not just a, uh, a check the box kind of thing, like some companies can run, run into. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Especially with like frontline positions, right. We can like relinquish ourselves to the idea. Well, that's just how it is. Right. Or there's nothing we can do or, or it's not that bad. Um, so I think that there's a couple of other things that from a learning and development standpoint, we've leaned in on besides the career progression, which has been like, um, really successful is the investment in, in leadership development. So I do and will always believe that the number number one climate factor for someone's success when they finish a formal training is go is going to be leadership pull through, mm -hmm. right? So um over the last 2 years we invested in uh really the first leadership offerings that were very functional for like our co contact center leaders. Um and you know, the other thing that we did that was uh, a little bit of a hard sell at first was that all levels of leadership would go through the leadership offerings, whether it was intended for like first level leaders, second level leaders, like every level goes through and we start at the top and our um, leaders at the top don't get less, they get more. And I think that that also a lot of times, uh, organizations want to be like, well, leaders don't need like, you know, my, my senior managers or my ops manager, like they don't need that. We just need that at the first level. And, mm -hmm. um, we've had a lot of conversation about the importance of leadership pull through. And I think that we can underestimate that all levels of leadership need the training and those that lead leaders or leaders that lead leaders that lead leaders, they need more, not less. Um, so we've really been trying to chip away at that kind of philosophy. Um, and it's made a huge difference, right? We're seeing where our um, associate engagement results are up double basis points year over year. Uh, I know L and D can't take all the credit, but we are we are going to take some because yeah. <laughs> yeah. of the offerings that we've done. So I think the leadership development and pouring into the leaders um, has been a big deal for us. The other thing that uh, we did under my umbrella is so Walmart obviously has like amazing like. Um, associate resource groups and all of these DNI uh, like materials. The the difficult part about it is for our contact center agents, especially because now they're 100% work from home. It doesn't feel like for me, 
right? It feels like it's far away. It doesn't feel like it's localized. And so we spent a lot of energy in the last year taking what already exists, but integrating it into like a hub and spoke model, right? So having the spaces that these agents, that these leaders go to all the time in their like flow of work and making it where at that hub, we could spoke them to the available resources that already exist. So we're not like recreating the wheel. We're not adding like additional level of effort, but we're making things accessible because, you know, in any big company, Walmart, Verizon, or otherwise, when you're a frontline agent, it can feel far away. It can feel not local, especially when you're hundred percent virtual. So, um, I think that that tying into the inclusion piece, um, feeling like you're a part of the organization, you're a part of the team, that that's gone a long way as well. And then this year, we've been focused on taking that, the resource piece to action. So partnering with um, our operations communication lead that we now have to do things like events that are localized or incorporating it into town halls or or meetings. And so those are things too that um, a little bit can go a very long way um, when you're thinking about how do I serve things up? Who, who do I serve? Right. Um, and making sure that it's meaningful to them uh, instead of being meaningful to us would be the other advice that I would give. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, two big takeaways I had from that one, I think with the leadership training, not just being for the frontline leaders, but also for being the, the higher up leaders, because if it's not reinforced all the way up the chain, it, it the, those leaders on the front line are going to get discouraged and they're not going to keep it going. Um, and then the hub and spoke, mm-hmm. I think that's great. Localizing, individualizing, those things really help people to not feel like they're getting this generic product, especially at the larger the organization, the the more generic and, and uncustomized it can be. And so I think providing that for them is this huge. Um, so we've talked about the people you support, the teams that your teams help. A lot of times L&D professionals get kind of left out of this conversation. You know, their whole job is to support other people but it, it seems like there's not always direct paths. I, I had a post on LinkedIn like a month ago where I talked about how L&D people don't get enough development. And a lot of people really resonated with that. So I know it's true in a lot of organizations, but I know you're not that kind of leader. So w- what do you do to make sure your people get development and they don't stay stagnant? Yeah, it's so true. Like in terms of like, it's, it's, it's ironic, right? That the L&D expert who spends all of their, energy developing others doesn't always get development. I definitely think Mm -hmm. that that's a systemic issue that you see in, you know, corporate L and D as well. So, um, I would say that like, there's a couple things. So personal conversations are really important to me. Um, the other thing I don't like though, is when we do this, like, okay, we're going to put our development plan together and the development plan also becomes like a check you know, check the box or compliance base or, Hey, like we have to have these things in, in the system and it has to be done by this date. So, um, I, and this is actually what I talked about at the, uh, the fierce, um, lab live that I was just at last week is really intentionally mapping and helping your teams map their skills, their values, and their interests. Cause you can't know where you're going or what you should focus on if you don't know where you are. Um, and then making sure that the conversations that we have about development are personal and individualized. I, there are very few things that we do that are just for the masses. We do a couple, like if we see common themes, right. Or common gaps, but I would rather invest our time, our money and our effort 
into making sure that people have unique experiences that are, again, for them and connected to their personal inventory, where they are and where they want to go. Um, so we've started to really create that concept because, I mean, I know it sounds like it's this like really difficult thing and it's not. So we've templatized it so that people can easily inventory, come to the table with what they want to do. And now my leaders are getting equipped to be able to provide them with the right kind of experience for where they are and where they want to go. Um, the other thing, and I, I know we talked about experiential learning. I'm not a big fan either of just throwing like exposure activities on a development plan. Mm -hmm. So, and that's not to say that exposure is not good. I don't want people to hear that. I'm just saying it needs to be like in tandem with something else. So what I mean by exposure is like, you know, a lot of times people will be like, oh, go and do like an informational interview and like learn about this space or, you know, even like sometimes mentorship. It's, it's good. Like we should do those things, but I'm really telling my team when we're putting together these plans, we have to move from like the passive, easy to assign stuff to the active. So we do a lot of work where we look at even in our own team, how do we do rotations? Um, I'm in a unique space now where I have technology, online content, design, delivery, and partner underneath me. So, you know, how do we rotate people, you know, with, for six months within our own team to give them diversity. Like it's very unique that you have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and we've also started to look at a lot of project work that is part of development. Um, just again, moving from that more like passive, more formal education to giving people experience. Um, and whenever possible, making it where you literally go and do that job in a safe, you know, a safe place uh, without having to necessarily have it be your full-time gig <laughs> or, you know, cause yeah. I think that's the thing too. Sometimes people are like, well, I think I might want to do this. Um, but then they do it and they're like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. We've had that happen even with our frontline people that have come through our L and D they were, they're like, I thought like your all's job was different. So how do we give people a safe place to try something and to get the feel for it? Um, because you know, if you're, if you're risk adverse, you maybe don't want to put your foot like in more than just the water, <laughs> like dip it in the water and go for the full-time positions. So that's what we've been really focused on is just moving from that passive to that active development, making sure that it's personalized. Um, and then the other thing I would just say is that, and this, you're going to love this, Adam, because it's one of my beliefs. You've probably heard me say it a thousand times is like feedback is a gift. Mm -hmm. And so building a culture where that's really what feedback is. Um, because that's where I think real growth happens as well is when you're getting feedback, especially when you're doing those real assignments or those real tasks. Um, and, you know, too often I think feedback has been weaponized, right? Um, or it's like coaching is a bad thing. And I'm like, no, coaching is a great thing. Like we shouldn't, you know, look at it like it's bad. Um, so I think fostering a culture where feedback just becomes feedback up, feedback to the side, feedback, feedback goes all around is really important for development as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Feedback is a gift. And I'll never forget the thousands of times you told me that many years ago. <laughs> um, but but it's a gift when it's it's the right culture at a company, right? right? And, and you're right that some companies just use feedback for negativity and documentation when people right. are doing things wrong. And, and learning from mistakes is important, but that's not the only time you should ever get feedback. Right, exactly. Y you mentioned... Fierce Lab earlier. And for anyone who might be unfamiliar, I know you've been involved with them for quite some time. You said you just had the event recently. So what is Fierce Lab and what's your role with them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Fierce Lab um, was founded by uh, Tara Wilson. So anyone who wants to look her up and she um, is also CEO of Tara Wilson Agency. And she had just a passion for creating something to empower women. So it includes a couple things. Uh, It's really like overall focused on topics or areas of interest that are most important to women. So things like self-help or not self-help, I'm sorry, um, self-care, right? Self-help, self-care is one category. Things like taking care of your finances, um, owning your financial portfolio, career development, making an impact in your communities. Um, And so it really is just a series of great content. Um, They have an app where you can access um, learning again that's very specific to those topics, very specific to women. It can connect you with other women who are, you know, change makers and um, making a difference in in their space and in their world. They also have um, a podcast. So Fierce Lab has a podcast series where um, these topics are explored and that can be accessed on things like Spotify or Apple. And then what I just participated in is once a year, they do a Fierce Lab live event. And um, it's a one-day conference. And it's just, again, really just dedicated to giving women a space and dedicated time um, and empowering them to own their future. Um, so I've had the pleasure of working with them in a couple of different ways. I uh, did a podcast probably 18 months ago. And then last week, I ran a workshop on um, the skills, values, and interests that we just talked about and gave people, you know, those templates and those forms and, um, you know, really empowering them to take control of their own career path and their own future. Um, so it was a wonderful day. And I was able to have my team come in and participate in, in it as part of their development, but then also um, facilitate one of the workshops. That's amazing. Um you know, obviously I'm not the target market for Fierce Lab, but I love when I see organizations that are empowering people, especially those that might not have um, that natural self-confidence, not trying to, you know, label yeah. people, but I, I'm a confident person and generally men are more confident than women. And I think having organizations like that helps um, people who might not go for that position or move their career up because they don't have that confidence. And and that's great. I think people helping people in whatever um uh, form that that is. I'm a fan. So for anyone out there, if you've not seen Fierce Lab, you got the, I'll put the link to the the organization as well as the awesome. podcast. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, this wasn't something I, I meant to ask, but I think it, it's relevant. You know, you're, you're a wife and a mother and you, you balance your family life along with this, this high impact career. You're a senior leader at a very large organization. So what have you been, been able to do to keep that, that home life, uh, and, and your family at front of mind while still delivering results and, and moving up in your career at a large organization? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. And, um, I guess the first piece of advice that I would give anyone, and this is whether you're, you're a man or a woman is that I think that we need to just accept and realize that there really is no having it all. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that's a lie that maybe Instagram sold to us. Um, so, you know, cause yeah. we go and we see like all of these people who seem like they've just got it all together all the time. Everything's beautiful. They're successful at work, successful at home. And I would just say that like being honest with ourselves, that that's not a reality, right? That is like an image, right? It's, it's a brand, it's an image that's put out there. And I think when I realized that 
like there is no me just having it all, at least on my own. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to ask for help where I needed it. So, um, there's not enough hours in the day to, to be a full-time everything. And so, you know, we decided when I was going to really go after my career and that was going to be our focus that like Gino and I together, my husband, you know, really had a conversation about, okay, then like, what should he do? Like there is, everything is a give and everything is a take and like recognizing that that creates balance. Um, I think is just really good for your mental health as well as just having like realistic expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, together, if you are with a partner, like having that conversation together versus like individually is really important. And then we also realized that like, based on, um, with kids activities and stuff, we were going to need help. So we went and we got help. We get help from our community. We get help from neighbors. We often carpool where like, maybe, you know, we have a ride share situation. We got help with the housework. So, um, you know, if when they say it takes a village, like that saying it's, it's true. And I don't think that there's weakness in that. I think it's smart, right? It's just being smart. Um, so take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to be everything to everyone. You don't, you, you, you can't do it. It's not possible. There's again, time is the one resource. It's finite and we can't make more of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. So, um, you know, realizing that you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Um, so that's been a big, a, a a big, um, shift because I, for a very long time really was trying to be a hundred percent and you'll just drive yourself crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. So, and I would also say like, recognize that there's seasons for things. Be okay with like the seasonality of life phases, you know, um, like, you know, when you have young kids versus when you have teenage, like kids or you know, your fur babies, right? Maybe they're older in their age or aging parents. Like there is seasons and that is okay. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent, like a hundred percent of the time. So you will have times when things ebb and when they flow. And I think having enough self-awareness to recognize that will also help you find whatever balance like you have to create because it won't create itself. That's great. And I, I love some of those things that you said, because you're right that, um, you know, I've even heard people say that there's no, really no such thing as work-life balance. You just have life and you have to decide what to prioritize to. And, and I love that you mentioned seasons mm-hmm. because we all go through different seasons where maybe outside of work has to be prioritized at certain times. And then yeah. the career might have to be prioritized at certain times. And you have to balance that with the other people in your life. And community is key. I think so many of us these days, we're so disconnected. It's so easy to be, um, you know, on your yeah. own. And we, we don't have some of the community that maybe we used to have, especially after these last few years. Um, so I, I love hearing that, you know, whether it be working with your husband or working with the people in your community, mm-hmm. you have to do what you have to do in order to make sure your life is the life you want to live. So speaking exactly. of that, um, you know, the last few years have been a lot of change for everybody, right? Between the pandemic and just, it seems like the news and the world is so crazy. And now we've seen a lot of impacts at work, right? We've seen how many terms were made up in these last two years of the great resignation and quiet quitting and all these things. And so as, as a leader in a large organization, and you see what I like to consider just kind of an employee motivation crisis that seems to be across the board today, how have you adapted over these last few years to just all the craziness, all the change, and, and really what looks to be challenges with people 
feeling fulfilled and motivated with their jobs. Yeah, I think it connects with a lot of the things that we've already talked about, like in terms of um, like certainly people want to be invested in. Right. So the one thing I will say about COVID, it, it, I mean, it created some craziness in the world and certainly in the workplace. But I like in many ways what it forced to have happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So I like that it forced us to accept virtual work as being a viable option. Again, whether that's 100 percent of the time or a hybrid situation like um, like many people have. I think it was good that it forced it. I think it proved out that it's a viable model. It can work. I like that it forced us to accept that people do have lives, right? We all have lives, no matter your title, no matter your role, like everyone has a life that isn't just work. And I think that um, it created an opportunity to see into people's life a little bit more. I know there was many times, like one, one day my son was behind me with his shirt off. He's like nine years old and was just, you know, walking around and I was on a one-on-one with my boss. And then he was like, Oh, um, so I like that it forced people to be seen as people and to be seen as like more than just the employee, like their moms, their sisters, their daughters, wives, husbands, you know, sons. I think that that was, um, a good thing that took place. Um, I think the other thing was that it also did really make us have to think about where work begins and life begins and how those two are like happening in parallel paths and many times in ways that intersect. Um, so those are all good things, right. That came out of, um, that forced like pandemic situation. What I am very curious though, to watch now. And what I'm also excited about though, is how do those good things continue in perpetuity? Right. So if you are in a situation where you're returning to the office, like, do we, um, you know, still embrace the things about work life balance or intersecting? And like, I felt like there was a lot of flexibility that came out of the COVID because people were just very accepting. Like, everybody's got this, like, you know, kids are home, mm-hmm. everybody's got this life happening around them. And so I love the openness or more open mindedness that I feel like it created. Um, again, maybe begrudgingly and maybe by force. But I think that um, what I'm hopeful is to see those good things continue in perpetuity. Uh, The things that I worry about, though, are, um, you know, any strength out of balance can become a weakness. So just how do we not go back 100% right to the way that it was pre pandemic? How do Mm -hmm. we maybe not have it 100% the way it was during pandemic, and find that sweet spot? right? Whether that's with employee engagement, employee experience, balance for individuals. Um, when you talk about the great resignation, that is so real. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's, while it's like when you're trying to recruit and hire, it's unfortunate, but I think that that empowerment that it gave people to again, make choices that were for them, maybe just instead of for their work is, I think it's a good thing. And I think it's going to be a good thing in the long run. Yeah, you know, I I love that you find that the hidden benefits and and I'll tell you, I loved all the meetings where kids and or pets would interrupt those meetings. They were so much more fun than the traditional, you know, right. virtual meeting that we were used to where we were just being so stuffy and serious. Right. I, I love that you found the benefits because there were those benefits and, you know, 
an, another potentially negative thing that I think could have benefits. So we all know the economy's cooling at minimum, mm. right? And and yeah. companies have uh, cut back on hiring. And so we we had this benefit of employees realizing what they want and that that resulted in a lot of people quitting their jobs. I think you know, you talk about balance, people won't be as flexible with um, you know, just leaving jobs willy-nilly as they were maybe a year ago. Yes. And so I I think maybe in 5 years we're going to find the harmony between, you know, hey, let's be realistic with job expectations, but let's also make sure employers are taking care of their employees and creating a, a fulfilling and positive workspace. Yeah. And what you're saying there too, like, because it's like these things go in shifts, right? So like what you don't, mm -hmm. what, that's why I don't want to see is like, were these really great things that came out of, you know, this environmental factors that we were all experiencing, no matter where we were go away. Because if like when the economy cools as organizations, we forget that, or as leaders, we forget mm -hmm. that. Things yeah, we don't want to just go back to, right? we don't go so, back to business as usual, right? <laughs> right. We don't want to go back to business as usual. No, absolutely. And so that's what I'll be really watching is like, it, you know, how do organizations respond? How do we respond as leaders? How do we hang on to the good, throw out the bad, but find more of like a middle ground? Because, um, you know, I know people also that are like, I love that, like, it used to be where you had to be very like business professional and like, it also changed you know, the comfort that people have in terms of even like wardrobe, like small things that like mm -hmm. just in the big picture can make, again, a big difference. Oh, yeah. I, I think both you and I remember probably when we both first got into training, how you had to yeah. dress into business professional. And I had to wear ties and jackets yeah. and, you know, the days have changed a lot. And I think there's some positive to that. We don't want to be wearing PJs to the office, right? but <laughs> maybe there's a balance between tie guy and PJ guy yes. in, the, in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. Let's find that place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I am also interested, you know, learning and, and training at work has changed a lot and I think it's going to continue to change. We talked earlier about not just jumping on technology trends, but I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that has the potential to be exciting. You know, AI, VR, AR, um, cohort based learning, you know, online courses and so on. But then we also run the risk of just jumping on the new trend. Right. So what is something that you see as either changes that have happened recently or changes coming in the future in, in training and developing employees that really has you excited? So I do think that we are going to see um, a trend where skill building happens within the flow of work and where people are able to like build skills, maybe even get certified for things um, through their day job, so to speak, right? I think that that's going to become more and more important where skill will be built through the flow of work. Um, now, the question becomes like, how do you scale it? How do you, you know, operationalize it and those kinds of things? Mm -hmm. But I think that that is a trend that I've heard um, spoke about more and more recently. And I'm very interested in watching what happens with that and where are the best use cases and um, how can it, you know, be applied in the, both the client group that I support as well as my team. Uh, I also, um, like when you mentioned technology, what I'm really looking forward to with the technology expansion is less, of, again, like just the next shiny thing and more about how the technology um, gets to a place where it's easy to scale. Right. And easy to have it be like repeatable and scalable to large audiences without yeah. like highly intensive level of effort. Um, because, you know, like 
a lot of technology, again, can while it's amazing and can create great benefit, it can be difficult to scale, especially in very large organizations or incredibly costly or the amount of resources that you would need to sustain it and maintain it isn't realistic. So I'm also looking forward to seeing how all of this like, you know, technology that's in the marketplace improves to make it easier to implement and then to scale. Um, So I think that those are two things that I'm most excited about watching and keeping a pulse on. And then of course, seeing like where and how can I implement it in, you know, the, the ecosystems that I support. Yeah, those are both great. Um, the, the first one you mentioned, you know, the field is performance support, right? Like learning in the flow of work. I think that has huge potential and and I've followed it a lot. And then, yeah, you're right. The scaling. I mean, there's no point to a good technology if it's just going to be this generic product sent out to thousands of people. So um, I, I think it'll get there. It's just we have to be careful to implement the right solutions and not just go for yeah. some out of the box product that we're, you know, implementing yeah. for a very large workforce. Well, Kate, we're, we're running short on time. I feel like I could talk to you all day. It's been great catching up with you, but I, I, I have a few, I have a few questions before we stop. Um, so first off, if, if there's anyone who's listening to the show that maybe hasn't connected with you, where can people find you? The best place to find me is on LinkedIn and just with my name, Kate Tonda. So that is the absolute best place to, to find me. Please do connect. I love making connections on LinkedIn. Um, so that would be the best place. Awesome. I'll put the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes as well. Great. And and then the last question is the question I ask every guest because I'm always interested to hear what people are learning. So what's one thing, either personal or professional, that you've learned lately that you've found interesting or a benefit to you? Yeah. So I um I want to go back to that idea of community because uh for many years again, like I didn't necessarily connect with the local community or know exactly what's going on locally, right? I had very, very small like systems that I was operating within. And mm-hmm. when, when the pandemic hit, I had an opportunity to actually participate in a leadership program that was through a local chamber of commerce. So I would encourage anyone like, check it, check it out, check out your local chamber of commerce, um, see if they offer something. And it was a year long program. And every month we had the opportunity to uh, learn about our local city, learn about like how things operate in our local city, uh, go learn about the school board, learn about city council, learn about, you know, family services and, um, nonprofits in the area. And so, um, but the best part was that not only did we have those opportunities that were more formal learning throughout the year, but together as a group of 25 complete strangers, we had to create a project for our city to better it. And, um, it was just the best experience for me to learn more about how my local community works, where I can plug in. Uh, but the best part was I've never done something like a city project before. We ended up doing a veterans memorial. Um, wow. And yeah, and um, we did a complete refresh, brought in monuments. But the really cool contribution I was able to make is we were able to create QR code plaques that had content of local veterans um, in the area telling their story. I learned things that I would never have been able to learn again, just in my work or a conference or, you know, an industry, um, opportunity. Like I would just encourage you to look where else can you grow? Where else can you learn something? Where else do you get the opportunity to build skills 
uh, you know, like fundraising. I did learn that's not my cup of tea. I'm not good at it, but yeah. I did learn a lot about it. So go and look for those opportunities because it grew again, skill sets in me that I otherwise would maybe have never had the opportunity, um, to do. And I just learned so much about the importance of plugging in locally, um, and how things work. And I think it's important again, like we talked about with bureaucracy and red tape, you can't navigate things if you don't know how they work. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's about the best Kate Tonda thing to do is you gave me two <laughs> things you learned, getting involved locally and learning from maybe places you didn't expect like this community project. Yeah. Um, Kate, it was amazing catching up with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I don't know if you know this, but you're our first interview after our, our new show name, Learning Evolution. Oh, so so that'll we'll, we'll uh, publish this on uh, October 31st on Halloween Day. So awesome. thank Wonderful. you so much for coming on the show. So nice to see you, Adam. Yeah, nice seeing you as well. And everybody at home, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. All right, bye-bye.